and welcome podcasts to episode 14. In this episode, Stephen and I discuss power and influence, namely the two forces that you can use to make things happen. This is a big topic and you'll see from my questions and my answers that it is easy to become confused and disorientated. Well, I did anyway. But we do get there in the end. And by there, I mean a better understanding of the role that power and influence can play. As we discussed right at the end, it's this understanding of the forces that are in play that will help us to better manage and plan for the right result. Listening back, I think I was pushing too hard for a simple checklist to make things better, which sometimes we do do. Um, But in this instance, it's going to take a bit more work. So let me know what you think. Drop us a line at podcast at coachpro.online. Be kind and constructive with your comments, please. I'll pop back at the end with some summary notes I wrote up after we finished and ran through with Stephen. Until then, here comes the cheesy music. I'm in. I'm genuinely curious. I've got my notes. We're off and away. We're on Zoom still. Edinburgh. Can you hear me? Loud and clear. So today we're going to talk about making things happen, which is a key element of any management or leader is getting other people to do things. Yeah, well, this could be, you know, making things happen from a leadership or management perspective or just as an individual. One of the things that gives us that sense of achievement, which is really important for our happiness and our confidence and our self-worth is that we can make something happen particularly if it's something that has real meaning or importance or value, one of the most distressing times is when you then feel you just can't seem to make anything happen. So this is a a very important thing for leadership, management, or even just your personal well-being. When the kids were small, they'd sit next to the door and they would just move the door backwards and forwards. Can you imagine how different the world suddenly looks when they can see into a room and then when they can't see into a room? To be able to change things around you, I mean, that's got to be part of, as you say, the human condition. Being able to affect change like that is huge. In, in all stages of our lives, it's um, when we maybe lose the courage of being a child, is, you know, we have the overcomplexity of that question, is this it? And if you have no confidence or understanding in how to make something happen, then this is it. Yeah, making something happen. It means you're active, you're the change agent, you're not always passive. I mean, things happen to us all the time, that's fine. You know, we need to learn how to, to react and respond to that in the right ways. But you sometimes do want to be the positive agent, the person who makes things happen. Okay, so making something happen. So if I want something to happen, I need to have power or influence over it. And I'm using these two words on purpose because I know you're going to help explain the difference between power and influence. But that's basically, at this stage, I would say it's the same thing. I would interchange those words quite easily. So if I want to make something happen, 
I need to be able to have some level of control over it, some level of power or influence over what's going to happen next. Is that how I should be looking at those words? Power, control, influence, what's... The, the, the first thing is that you're clear on what you want to make happen and then be clear on the why you want to make that happen. The clarity in what it is then gives you that direction. Then the the understanding of all the reasons why is a, is a measure of your, your motivation to do something so that you're not just looking at anything that you want to make happen, but there's reasons why you want to make it. It has meaning for you. So you're not measured by how many things you do. You're, it's more about the things that you do that matter. Yes. So you've got enough reasons why. And once you're clear the what and the why, then you move into the how, the how you're going to make something happen. Yes. And there are two main categories that you're going to make something happen. You're either going to do that with, through power or you're going to do it through influence. That's great. So this comes, so just to quickly then, so that first, that what and why, this is something that we come back to time and time again is be clear. It doesn't necessarily need to be a big purpose, but your goal, your reasons for doing it, be clear. If it's not compelling, make it compelling, link it to something in your life, which is compelling. This is part of the, we talked about purpose and in emotional management that makes so much sense and i think it's so easy to bypass this is why are you spending time on this and also i do think it's important that sometimes you just feel like you want to do something just because i guess you feel that if you're making something happen you're in control or you're that agent rather than if you spend some time you can actually make something happen to a better end it's, it's the difference between making something happen and making anything happen. Yeah. And sometimes we get into that emotional place where we're just desperate to get that feeling of worth or, you know, purpose back to anything. I, I, I'll do anything rather than doing something and that being something more specific, meaningful yes. to you. And that's also sometimes when you end up feeling you're doing everything for everybody else or doing what everyone else has told you to do if you don't have meaning towards it then it's just anything rather than something. Love that. I, I have a, a benchmark, which you know with people, of why to the power of seven. If you've got less than seven reasons why you're going to do it, I'm anticipating you're going to chuck it once it gets tough. Yes. But if you've got more than seven reasons, you'll get over all those little bumps in the road or when it gets difficult or unclear or you're unsure or you're questioned or challenged. And seven's a quite low threshold. So any, anything less than seven, let's think of something else you really want to do. Let's, some, let's take something that has meaning or has purpose or you're more committed to. Yes. Or, like we talked about last time when we talked about the onion skin, is find more than seven reasons. Layer up those reasons. All right, so we're in a good place emotionally. We Our intelligence is engaged. Our emotion's in the right place. We know what we want to do. We've got great reasons to do it. Why to the power of 10 to do this? This is good. So then how do we change it then? You need power and influence, power or influence. Well, this isn't, it's not about what you have. It's the how you're going to make happen, what you want to make happen. Are you going to do it through the use of power or are you going to do it through the use of influence? Okay. So that this then moves us into, well, What's the difference between power and influence? And and it's important to understand these in relative terms so that you know how they relate to each other, you know the 
dynamic they have with each other and so that you can understand that power is not a good thing or a bad thing and influence isn't a good thing or a bad thing. They are just things. Your choice and use of them will make them work or they'll make them not work. And, and the, the sort of most basic understanding of both uh, in comparative terms is power is what you can make happen while you're in the room or you're on the call or you're in the situation. It's what you make happen while you're there. Okay. So it's like a direct power. Yeah. The, the, okay. the flip side is that once you step outside that room, once you take your foot off the pedal, once you go off the call, if it's all been power, once you take yourself out of the equation, there's not much left. Yeah, get it. So if your strategy is on power, you're going to need to make sure you're always there. Okay. However, influence is measured more by what happens after you've gone off the call, after you've taken your foot off the pedal, after you've stepped out of the equation. If that energy, that motivation, that drive, that clarity remains after you've stepped away from it, that's how you measure your influence. So you then don't have to always be there. And so one of the biggest benefits that you get between power and influence, power is about capability to always be there, but it's very restrictive on capacity. Whereas influence opens up your capacity because you don't always have to be there. Yes. So power is measured by what you do. Influence is measured by what you can get done. What you can do and what you can get done. I mean, you said that both have their place. Yeah. In, in, in our toolbox that we've discussed before. But all of a sudden, power doesn't feel very useful. Feels, I mean, power is a great word. I mean, it sounds like it's the big, it's just strong. This is, you know, you want to be powerful. So is it, has it got a specific strong use? Yeah, look, at that. in times, in times of crisis in particular, power comes to the fore. I mean, if the building's on fire, please don't take the time to try and influence me to get out. Get me out of the building. Yeah. No, if, if it's something that just needs to be done there and then, if it's something that, you want to be involved in all the time and you're going to be in every call and you're going to be in every room and you're going to be in every conversation and you want to own it, then you can use power because you know you're always going to be there. But by being there, it means there's other places you can't then be. Get you. So this is the capacity. So it may sometimes be a stronger, more powerful weapon. It is narrow where you can use it, I guess. Yeah, but power can have an immediate impact. Yes. And influence and time will have an immediate impact, but initially it takes a bit of time. You have to set it up. Okay. Whereas power is a right here, right now, this is immediate. Now, when it's a right here, right now, immediate situation, power is a fantastic choice. But for some situations where it doesn't just have to be always in the now, always immediate, always there and then, power then becomes a suboptimal choice because you had the opportunity to influence something which to create even greater capacity. Yes. But when we've touched on things like collaboration before, where you should compromise when you're running out of time, some people still start off from a position of compromise even though they've got time. Well, some people go to power even though they've got the opportunity to influence. Get you. But if you don't have the time, wield that power. So this is also then comes back down to 
one of the things we talked about during overwhelm was you've got your list of priorities if you've got one or two things which are top of your list and you haven't got that much time you need to I keep thinking of thor's hammer for some reason you know you need to yield that because you haven't got time for anything else so it can still be massively important but you've got a longer time frame you can you start influence your influence program which we'll discuss in i guess now this will allow you to use your power whenever you need to later on okay okay so you need to have both in your locker how do i make sure that power or my power is as impactful as possible and then should we have a look at then influences about how i can better influence and more widely influence yeah look and most situations where this becomes a topic is when you're sitting with people who will say why do I always have to make this happen? Why won't they just pick things up? I've explained this plenty of times. Why don't they get it? Always seems need to be me that's making a point of this. And, yes. and it's, you know, it's, it's always down to me. And, and they say, well, it's because you're power. And they'll say, no, no I, I'm trying to influence. And what you've first of all got to understand is that power and influence, influence relate to each other. The more powerful you are, the more difficult it becomes to influence. Get it. So you've got to understand the amount of power that you bring in so that you know how how the level you'll need to exceed in terms of your influence. Because if your level of power is higher than your level of influence, everything will be seen as powerful. Wait a sec. First of all, so the mistake I've just made then in my question was I was seeing these two things as two different things. You know, you either went with your power play or your influence play. What you're saying is is you need to be aware that if you want to use influence, you've got to see where you are with power. And I guess, is it the other way around as well or, or not? So, yeah. Yeah. It's, you've got both on the dial. They aren't two separate things. You've got both power and influence. It's just where you're turning the dial. And you first of all got to understand how much power you have so that you then realize how much influence you're going to have to create and build to be more influential than powerful. But first of all, you have to choose whether you want to be more powerful or more influential, which is when it comes down to your capacity. Your, your choices are great as long as they're aligned to what you want to happen next. Yes. So if you want to be doing something in a way where you don't need to be the most, you don't need to keep owning it and keep leading it and be the one that always has to make it happen, if you don't want that to be the case, you need to develop influence. If, however, you want to be the person who always own it, who's always needing to be there, always central to it, that it all slows down when you take your foot off the pedal, then power. That's that's really good. That make you're right. That's when it comes out, isn't it? Is so many times you get frustrated because things don't happen when you're not there to push it and to drive it. And this happens in teams. This happens with families with the kids you know why don't they do what we ask them to do and i say is because they're just waiting for us to be in the room before they listen and that's a power play not a an influence play and, and if you haven't developed influence all you've got left is power which means you don't have a choice okay because you're just going to have to overuse power all the time because you haven't built up influence yes 
Yes, that makes sense. And therefore, you've reduced your capacity to get things done. Okay. There's, there's also the bit on that, Warren, where there are some people who will say, I have no power. And it's because they're not aware of the power that they do have. Okay. Uh, and what they seek is to be powerful, but they feel because they don't have the amount of power they think they want to have, then they don't have any power. They're just a victim. They're just going to have to wait. There's also other people who are desperately trying not to be powerful, but it's all they've got. So the way you just said that makes me think that we probably underestimate or some people underestimate the amount of power they have or don't understand the power or what power is or the power that, yeah, the power they're capable of bringing, the immediate impact they can bring to a party. Yeah, the first thing you need to do is to become more aware of the power that you bring into the room. And, and most people, almost everybody I've met on over 20 years of doing this, is not aware objectively of the power they bring. And because they're not aware of the level of power they bring, they can't then gauge the level of influence they're going to have to develop to be more influential than powerful. So basically, so you, to make your influence work, it's got to be over and above the amount of power you're bringing into the room. So first things first, if you've got a lot of power, don't confuse power and influence. And if you think you've got no power, then you're going to go in there with such a low level of influence. It's never going to, it's never going to overwhelm the power that you actually do have. I mean, those, I think, are the two common problems. And look, you've got people, most, and I would say the majority of people, because they're not aware of the amount of power and they don't actually aspire to have more power, they tend to be blissfully unaware of how much power they're actually bringing in with them, which then, means their influence strategies become insufficient. That there are others, people with genuine power will talk, normally tell you the similar tale of how isolated, how ineffective, how frustrated they become because they're always looked upon the most powerful, as being the most powerful. You know, one of the biggest leaders of IBM, I think it was, sort of confided that the last six years of his career was so frustrating because you couldn't have an idea without someone else trying to put it into production. <laughs> it's like the most powerful person in the room is also the funniest person in the room, isn't he? You know, we all laugh at his jokes. And this was the hierarchy of communication that, that, that you've explained, and I see it happen all the time, is, as you just said. So that IBM says maybe we could do something. That His team in the room saying, maybe he's, I think he's saying we should do something. And then so their team here, we must do this. And you see it. You explained it to me a while ago, and I see it so many times that people be rushing off and creating a report. And you're like, why are you doing that? And they said, because, you know, the boss asked for it. Or you said, and I went, yeah. I said it might be interesting to know. I didn't ask for people to spend a week compiling it. Yeah, and every idea becomes an order, you know, and people's interpretation. And it's the it's the analogy that I'll use to describe power and influence very quickly with people is saying, well, if you're the top person in an organization and you tell a joke and everyone laughs, are they laughing because you're the top person in the company telling a joke or are they laughing because they found you funny? Did you influence them to laugh or were they laughing because you're the most powerful person? And and that puts you in a place where you really want to know. 
And so the first thing to do is to be aware of how much power you bring into the room. And your power is made up of 20% formal, 80% informal. So examples of your formal power might be in a work environment, for instance, title, uh, your status, the package you're on, the authority you have, the scale of the business that you have, your track record, your industry reputation, the level of authority you have, your decision-making powers, what you control within that organization, your position in the organization, your influence over top people and connection into top people, all of these things, formal. Yeah. And so already there's quite a lot of power you're bringing into the room. But it's only 20%. 80% of your power is informal. That's your character, your personality, maybe in business, your commercial awareness, your sense of humor, your compassion, your ambition, your attention to detail, your relationships with people and then your networks with people your determination to learn, your openness to criticism, how you deal with conflict, your level of self-confidence, your ability to empathize or be compassionate, what people will say on your behalf, your openness to new ideas, your technical understanding of things, your openness to doing things better and doing things differently your level of freedom of choice, security, financial position, your your attitude to money, your attitude to success, how critical you make the job to your life or how or not, all of those things start to build up to start to realize how much power you're bringing into that room. So you if you take that then on an individual basis, if you take that in a sort of family perspective, your formal power might be that you're the parent or you're the oldest child or you're the the one who can do something that others can't do formally. All of those things in that personal environment or in friendships, you're the one with the best job or you're the one with the biggest house or the biggest car or yeah. you know, you're seen formally as being the most successful or you're the one who's had the relationship that's lasted the longest and all that kinds, or you've travelled, or you've not travelled, all these things are your formal power even in those more personal type relationships. Your informal power, and you'll know this when you socialise with even friends or whatever, your informal power is that can you tell a story, can you tell a joke, are you good for a laugh, are you someone who can be trusted, can you keep a confidence, You know, do you turn up on time, are you reliable? your willingness to take honest feedback from people, your ability to, you know, welcome new people into the company and all those kind of things. So the 20%, I get, I'm surprised it's so small, but that 80% it sort of sounds like if you're a good, good egg, you know, if you're a good person, if you're a nice person, you, you're a I mean, you, there are lots of other sort of wider examples around it, but it does feel very personal. And I wonder, is that, I mean, the 2080, is that the same in, across all companies? Because yeah, it's, the, companies, it's the formal and formal. And just to come back, and I've got a tendency to go positive 
that informal piece could also be quick to temper, quick to anger, harsh on people, critical of people, you know, and dismissiveness. All of those things on that positives, I was, there's also the negative side of that is powerful. You know, and if you've been in the room with someone who you know is quick to anger, that's a power. And that 20% formal then is if you are the, you know, the, the stereotypical male room boy, if you are the youngest in the room, if you are the one, then also that, that dials down as well in your power. However, it's still important to note that you still have power. You just probably, you don't maybe have as much as you think or you would like. Well, the 20% of your power might be stronger than my 20% of my power on a formal basis. So it's 20% of your power. It's not 20% of the power in the room. So it's within you understanding your power is 20% of your formal power and 80% of your power is informal. Got you. So, and maybe the 2080 is more figurative than than mathematical, but already I'm starting to think, so if you've got the CEO in the room who's a nasty piece of work, he's 20%, he's got all the points for the 20%, but he's very low in the 80, but you've got a junior colleague who everyone loves and respects and thinks fantastic, he could have more power in the room. Or am I taking this too, too literally? Now, what I'm saying is it's not about the power in the room, it's the power in the individual. So 80% of your power as an individual is your informal power. 20% of your personal power is formal. Okay, that's good. That's that's important. So this is actually something you can work on then. Yeah, and uh, but first of all, it's uh, having that awareness of how much power you're bringing into the room. Yeah, And the reason why the 80-20, as a figurative 80-20, but it emphasizes the key point is that you bring more informal power into any room than you do formal. Some people think once I'm the CEO, once I'm, once I'm a parent, then I'm going to have ultimate power. That's 20% of your power. 80% is the informal. Yeah, that, that makes sense now. With that, sorry, it makes sense to me. I'm sure it's made sense to you. Even if, I, if I'm the CEO, I've already got a starting base, which is huge, which may actually, my 20% may dwarf what everyone else is doing in the room because I've got that as my starting point. However, I could make myself even more powerful and therefore make my immediate impact more, more powerful, to keep using power words, if I worked on all of that 80% informal as well, it would actually increase the amount of power I had available to me. Whatever everyone else is doing, even if they're all at 100% of their own personal power capabilities, thinking of weird Marvel games and stuff at the moment, but but my 20% outstrips it. This is down to me to make my power tool even more powerful by saying, right, you've got, you've got this. There's only so much you can do with the, with the formal. And there's so much you can do with the informal. And that is if okay. you want that is if you want more power. Which sometimes well, you want that choice. Well, what you want is first of all the awareness of how much power you're bringing into the room so that you then know how much influence you need to develop. 
Okay. Yeah. And and if the more you're gathering power, the more difficult it's going to be to remain influential. Okay. Which is one of the reasons when people uh, go on a career where they work through the ranks within an organization and their, their um, formal power increases quite significantly as, and also then their informal power increases significantly. They wonder why people treat them differently. Um, they wonder why the people, they don't have such a strong connection with some people because when I used to work with you, everything was fine. Now I'm your boss. It's got kind of difficult because you've now got a lot of power in the way. So power, first of all, it's just to be, be aware of the amount of power you bring in the room. Okay. But rather than looking at increasing it and decreasing it, the first thing you need to do is be aware of the amount of power you have in the room. Okay. I think we need to then move to inference because at the moment I'm in my head thinking if I will need to be influential, I need to reduce my power. So th this is where people go. When they realize that the level of power they have is greater than the level of influence that they currently have, you've got two options. You can try and reduce your power or deny your power. Yes. Or you can build greater influence. Now, when I'm working with people, what I recommend is that we really focus on building greater influence rather than going into the denial of the power. So, you know, let's just pretend I'm not your boss. You know, or for me to say to my boys, let's let's pretend I'm not your dad and I'm just your pal. Now you might get that momentary honesty, but then they look at you and realize you've got the shocked face of a dad who now knows something that he shouldn't know. <laughs> so all of a sudden we're back into a power thing again. <laughs> so I would always recommend not to go into denial of your power. So bosses who yes. take their colleagues out and say, let's just go out and pretend I'm one of the gang. Well, in the morning you're not. Yes. So I don't advocate trying to reduce power in those terms. It's disingenuous. It's inconsistent. And people want a leader. So they want somebody to be able to look at as power. However, there is some unnecessary power which gets in the way of influence, which you can consider and look at. So let's say, for instance, I'm really good at telling jokes, but you're not very good at telling a story. Well, if I bring in humor, you're going to see my humor as being powerful rather than influential because I'm doing something that you don't do well. So do I really? This is about a dynamic between two people or you in a room or you in a team of people, is it? So, okay. So there's a power. Your audience will determine whether it's powerful or influential. That makes sense. So if I, if I tell a joke and you don't have a good sense of humor, me using humor just makes me more powerful in your eyes. However, if you're really, if you're really funny and I've got a good sense of humor, you would see my humor as being influential rather than powerful. If I, if another example of that is if I was really hugely technically expert, expert in things and I start using jargon or I start using initials for things. Um, or, you know, legislation or if I'm from a medical background and I'm using all Latin terminology for stuff. If you have not got any sort of understanding of that, you're going to see all that as being powerful. Yeah. And therefore, it's going to be really difficult for me to influence you. However, if you're as medically proficient as I am, using that jargon and initials and Latin names for things, you're going to see that as influential because we're connecting. Yes. And this is what happens a lot is when people are trying to impress somebody, 
They want to show them everything that they know. Yes. But if that audience or that other person doesn't get it, they see that as being powerful and a disconnect rather than influential and a connection. However, if you can explain the most technically complex situation in a way where that audience really gets it, then you become more influential than powerful. So you've got to be aware of your amount of power. You've got to accept that level of power so that you can understand the level of influence you're going to have to build. But then you can look at that power and see, is, is any of that unnecessary? Is any of that unhelpful? I don't really need to bring it, so why don't I put that down for just now? Um, what do you mean by that? I'm trying to re reduce the barriers of influence, and the major barriers is the, the power you're perceived to have. Okay, so don't lord it over them. If me using humour with people who don't see that as being funny, I'm putting a barrier in the way. As an example, I was speaking to um, a CEO who is uh, running a biotech um, startup and he's pitching to a lot of investors. But his starting position is to tell them that he used to be an investor. And what that's doing is creating a barrier because it's almost saying, I know as much, if not more than you do. You know, it's the it's the thing as a parent you sometimes go to. I've certainly done that where if I'm struggling to influence with my kids, I will bring in the, I'm your dad. That's why. You know, and, and, that, and what I'm doing is I'm bringing power back in because I'm struggling with influence. So if I really want to influence, what I need to do is avoid saying because I'm your dad. Yeah. So in the investor example, in a way, it sounds like he was trying to make a connection. He was you know to find some common ground something like oh this is this is one of us here's here's a member of a, our tribe yes He's trying to reduce reduce the tension and heighten the trust which is one of the things that you you do so where does it go wrong in in that situation it's not getting on what he wants on some occasions and some occasions with others who are, are investors saying i wish we were investing in companies with CEOs who also understood from an investor perspective, they see that as influential. But for the investors who are saying, no, I want to take care of the investment assessment. I want a good CEO. They're seeing that as a bit of a grind. Okay. So maybe use the correct language. But you're taking a call, Warren. You're taking a call and... Because the, the assessment is in the audience. No, you don't decide how much power. They will determine whether they see that as powerful or not. Okay. So it's getting to understand that audience better to say, well, that actually throwing all that jargon in is unnecessary. It's actually not helpful. Or with this audience, that will be really helpful. It's making a call. And if they see it as being more powerful, it's going to be more difficult for you to influence. Okay. So that's on the power side. So accept how much you're going into the room with and reduce any barriers. Oh, so it's accept the level of power you go into the room with, just being conscious and aware, and aware of all that comes with it then, is it? You know? In my, my early career in coaching, uh, because I'd previously run recruitment businesses, I was then put in front of a lot of recruitment businesses 
because there was the perception that I knew what they were doing. And initially what I would do is go into these recruitment businesses and say, okay, I, I'm the coach you should hire because I've got nine years experience of running recruitment businesses. And with some people, I didn't get the work. And I never really understood why. And then there was others that I got the work that were saying, the reason we hired you in is because we know you had run recruitment business before and that was really helpful. We felt, okay, you're going to be able to understand us. But there was a group in the middle who still hired me, but they were always resistant. And they then told me that what they heard was I came in and said, I've done your job and I'm also going to coach you, which just made me more powerful. And therefore they were resistant. And only once they explained that to me and I was able then to say, well, that, that was not my intention and I'm not here to do your job. But what they perceived I was there because I was a better coach than they are, but I was also better at doing what they do. Whereas others were saying I was a better coach than they were because that's my job, it isn't theirs. But I needed to respect that they were good at their job. I think I did this last week. That's good. I'll have to go back there. Thanks for that. Hey. Well, the, the thing is, but for some people, that's going to be hugely reassuring, and for others, it's going to be intimidating. It's taking that call. It wasn't intimidating, <laughs> antagonistic. I can see that now. And yeah, which makes it more difficult to influence. Yes, that makes a hundred percent sense. Yeah, that 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 different audience. I thought I was doing mirroring. But I wasn't actually because I didn't let I didn't allow for a mirror. I just went in there and and told my story. And you know, genuine mirroring is is a better understanding of of how they see themselves before you hold the mirror up to them. And and so your power in other people's eyes will vary, yes, depending on that person, and also depending where they are at the time with their own insecurities and everything else. So having a strategy of just avoiding the unnecessary power isn't going to be enough because it's going to vary in other people's eyes. And it's not your, it's your action that they'll judge, it's not the intention. Okay. So that's why the focus really then needs to go on to influence. Yeah. Okay. And your influence is also 20% and 80%. And this is where it gets really interesting in your, your ability to do things. It's split into direct influence and indirect influence. Your direct influence is 20% of your capacity to influence. So that's what you can make happen by what you say and do. Okay. So it's what you can get others to do by what you say and do. 80% of your influence capacity is indirect. It's what you can get others to say and do on your behalf that gets things done. Okay. So it feels a little bit like direct influence feels a little bit like power. It's a more direct form of influence. So if I, if I explain this in the basis of say you're my, you're the global CEO and I'm the, I'm the sales manager and you stand up in front of everybody and you say next year is going to be the best year this business has ever had. I'll pick up 20% of that because that's your direct influence. You're my CEO and you've said that. But I might be sitting there thinking, right, Warren said that. He might be saying that because he thinks he needs to. He might be saying that because he hopes it's true 
Or he might be saying that because he's so far removed from what's going on on a day-to-day basis that he hasn't got a clue what kind of year we're going to have next year. But from what I can see, I can't see the next year is going to be the best year ever. So you've influenced me 20% because that's your direct influence. It's what you have said to me directly. However, my colleague is sitting next to me and she's the sales manager of another team. And she turns to me and says, look, I know Warren's saying next year is going to be the best year ever. you know." And he might be saying that because he wants to believe it or he wants to say that because he just wants us to believe it or maybe he's so far removed from what's going on that he actually believes it's true. However, to be fair, the stuff that I've got on in my t- going on in my team just now and the pipeline we've got, I actually think next year could really be the best year we've ever had. Now, why would her saying that to me be more influential than you saying that from the stage? This is, there's going to be a personal connection. There's some context. It's a, it's a peer, a colleague. So what difference does that make? I was going to say believe, you know, you believe it, but you the motivation, the reason why that person would do it are going to be more aligned with yours. So there's that connection. There's that genuine connection. It's the fact that it's a colleague and the fact that there's context. I think those are the those are the big ones which sort of jumping out. And and what happens because of those things is that she doesn't have the barrier of power to have to climb over. I don't see her as being more powerful than me. Thank you. So it's a lot easier for her to directly influence because we're connected. I know she gets it, and I don't see it as powerful. I see it as influential. So you, as the global CEO, twenty percent of your influence is in you standing up and saying it. And it's really important you stand up and say it. But understanding that you standing up and saying it, you know, and and fulfills that 20% direct influence capability. But 80% of that influence then comes from people like my colleague saying to me, actually, I think it could be that best year because it's easier for her to influence me. That makes sense? Yeah. So when we talked about power, it was 20 and 80 is individual. And so my 20 is, is, is certain fixed, but basically how I took this is you have an opportunity to make yourself a lot more powerful by other softer elements. For this influencer, this, isn't about, this is about the message. So what you're saying is 20% of it's direct and 80% of it's indirect. Now, this is a, this is a CEO's individual influence yes okay 20 percent of their influence is what they say 80 percent of their influence is what they can get others to say on their behalf so as the ceo the question would be yes your direct influence strategy which gives you 20 percent is by you saying things but 80 percent of your influence is indirect is how can you make sure that these people will speak to people like me and reinforce that message Another example of that, people will go on websites and look at hotels, and that's 20% influence. 80% of the influence on their decision comes from TripAdvisor and comments of other people. That's the hotel's indirect strategy of influence. 20% is them saying, this is a great place to stay. 
people then go and read the comments, they'll go to TripAdvisor, they'll go to other ratings to then say, right, does that then, because these people don't have a vested interest or an agenda or that power, they're saying it to be more influential because they're just like me. They're another visitor to that hotel. Yes. Okay. So so how then do I foster that that other 80% then? Or so this is that's the big question, Warren, and that's the thing is that so if we get back to you being the global sales uh, global CEO on that stage and I'm the sales manager in the audience, you're taking care of the 20% by telling me that positive message, but your 80% strategy needs to be how do you make sure this fellow sales manager speaks to me? Exactly. And this should be work I've been doing before I'm delivering this 20. It's, it's, it, this is the whole thing. Yeah. You know, if, if you want your message, if you want what you're, if you want to be 20% influential, then it's all wrapped up in just what you do and say. If you want to get to that other 80% of influence, then you need to have indirect strategies. Yes. And given the amount of power that you're aware of, you'll realize that 20% influence is not going to be enough. You really need to develop indirect influence strategies. You can try your own direct influence strategies to improve and improve and improve those. It's going to peak out at 20%. You need to move into indirect influence strategies. Okay. You know, if you're launching a product online and you're just putting stuff out there saying, we think we're great, no matter how often you do that or how well you do that, that'll give you 20% of your influence. It's only when you get other people saying it's great, other people saying, I've used it, it's fantastic, it's amazing. That's when you move into those indirect levels of influence. And then you've got a chance of being more influential than powerful. Okay. So in the global CEO perspective, the chat, the, the, the question is, how do you make sure someone like that sales manager knows to speak to people like me? Exactly. Now you can do that on a, a an operational level of try and sit those people in the audience, you know, next to the cynics or the skeptics and the hope that they do that. You can try and manage it by infiltrating positive groups with people who need that positivity. Or you can be strategic about it and get a hold of the sales manager because you know that she gets it and be saying to her, look, I know you get it. All I'm asking is that if you then are in among someone, people or someone who doesn't get it, would you be able just to be saying to them, look, I get it and here's why I get it. And this is why you want to populate then teams full of people who you know and who know you because you're shortcutting that sometimes. So when people come in and to help shortcut then indirect strategies, indirect influence strategies, they bring in known entities, people who know them, trust them, know what they're about, because actually that gives them a leg up. These people are influencing broader people without them having to do that hard work before. I mean, you know, all of that time-consuming work before. Okay. It's your indirect way. It's it's why referrals, endorsements, user feedback, all that kind of stuff all fits into indirect influence. And it's why it is so influential. But so in teams though, so if I'm building this up in teams, is this something I'm doing? I'm one, I'm choosing the right people. I have to spot those people who are influential, those people who are in charge of networks, those people who do have a voice they have a forum 
whether that's customers or or internal stakeholders i need to talk to them i need to engage with them i need to explain to them i need to give them the the context and, and the consideration and the conclusions and this is why we are going to do all the things we do 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 you understand that's why it takes time that's still only your in, that's still only your direct influence however it's about saying, look, here's the context. Here's, here's why I'm saying this is going to be great. That, and that's you building up the credibility in your 20%. When you move in into the indirect, it's just saying, look, but don't just hear it from me. Yeah. Speak to the colleagues. Speak to the customers. Speak to the speak to the users. See the market. Speak to others. Search, see what see what. Yeah, speak to me. To, you don't need to take it from me. Take it from them. Look at what our competitors are doing. I mean, it's all of this type of stuff. So, um, you know, even in a, a person, as, as you sometimes do as a parent, if you've got sons or daughters and you're trying to get through to your son or daughter to say, are you sure you're making the right choice here? And that's your direct influence by putting that question in. But if you're fortunate enough to have other kids, then you say, look, have you spoken to your brother about it? Have you spoken to your sister about it? Because you know that's more of an indirect influence because they're going to get to hear it from someone else. My business in 20 odd years is 100% referral because it's been built up on indirect influence, which is why it's successful. It's why it's so effective. But that's also because I've got strategies for indirect influence. I don't just wait for it to happen. Okay. Because I understand the value of it. So let's go through those the, these strategies then. So we've got... An acceptance that you need to know when to use power and when to use influence. I think there's also to improve your capacity, you need to use influence. To improve the efficacy of the influence, you need to understand that you you have that indirect component. So that's where I am in my you know flow charts written on my mirror, my very busy mirror at the moment. So what are the checklists that I should be having in my head of saying whatever else you're doing? Because some of this indirect influence stuff is going to fit into that matrix, which is important but non-urgent. So you need to make sure you are doing it because it will make your life a lot easier further on down the the, the road, isn't it? So I'm guessing. So what do I need to make sure I'm doing every day, every week, every month? To, to to start building up that my my army of of indirect influences for me. It's, it's exactly that is to know that you need to continually develop and build that, and 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 while you're building it, you're going to have to rely upon power, and accepting that that's part of the process for now, but that you're aspiring to become far more influential than you are powerful. Okay. So it's, you know, when you start up a new business, you're going to have to do most of the legwork. Probably going to have to be you. It's going to be your enthusiasm. It's going to be you using your power, your credibility, track record, all these different things. And also you're limited a bit to your direct influence. It's got to be you that's saying it. Once you then start building up customers and referrals and clients and an audience and everything else, you start to become more, influential because that indirect influence starts to build up so you've got to be understanding this is what we need to build to become more influential but in the meantime 
it needs to be us who are out there all the time. So this is why you... But as soon as we take our foot off the gas, it's going to slow down. Yes. Once we're influential, we can get this spinning. And when we take our foot off the gas, other people push on. So this is the importance then of, you know, some of the stuff which sometimes doesn't seem to be so important, things like networking. So there's always people who love networking. There's always people who don't like networking. Basically, what you're saying is it doesn't matter whether you like it or not. It's got to be a key strategy because it's a, it's an opportunity. The more powerful you are, the chances are as well you'll you'll talk to other powerful people who therefore have maybe, yeah. You need to tap into people who have power and influence as much as possible and keep talking to them so eventually they will become positive influencers around you. And, and it's the people, it's that sales manager. She needs to know that there's value in her having that conversation with me. And she needs to be up for doing that. It's not just about, well, there's enough people there, surely they're going to go and tell people. Uh, there's a tipping point with people, a tipping point percentage, that once enough people get their head around something, then everyone knows it. And that percentage would be what? Well, it's the 12 monkeys. So, I mean, it depends how many monkeys are in the audience. So, in percentage terms, what would you guess at that being? Um, I'd say about 20%, 15%, 20%. 18%. Bang on. 18%. As long as it's the right 18% who know what you want them to yeah. do. Now, so, so this is also where, I, and I think I need to, again, understand that things aren't black and white, that, that power and influence, direct and indirect, all of these, they, they merge together, so to speak. So if I'm giving feedback to to somebody from a position of power, it's going to have a different impact and an influence later on and, and encourage people and motivate people to do things differently than if I don't. And this is probably the, my misinterpretation of it. Having a lot of power does make it harder for me to, my level of influence. However, probably also affords me more opportunities to influence. So once I have that awareness and uh, of the power I have, actually it can be a force for good. So as you say, don't deny it, know it, use it. And then that was like getting rid of it, some elements of it. Yeah, how can you make powerful connections with people to start influencing them over and beyond your own ability? To, to direct influence. Okay. If, if you think of the, the relationships that you, that are the best relationships, the strongest relationships, and you really don't need to worry about the amount of power because you've already got influence, it's because you've developed that relationship to a level where everything then just becomes perceived as being influential rather than powerful. So over time, influence won't necessarily develop, but your power will be transferred across to be more influential because I know what you're like. I know where you're coming from. I know it's okay. An example of this where it didn't go so well was I had a client who, it was a management buyout. There was a, there was a production manufacturer who was moving out of the country and moving across to somewhere else. So they offered the existing management team to do a management buyout. It was four guys who were working on the shop floor who were now going to be owning this business. And it was a big employer in the community. So there was a lot riding on it. So these guys were great. 
And we looked at a number of things and thought, okay, well, you're now no longer this global manufacturer. You're now this small independent. So things are going to need to change. You know, payment terms, deals with suppliers in particular were going to be key. So we organized to get all the suppliers in to explain to them this is what's happening. Otherwise, this business was just going to get moved completely, but this is what we're trying to do. We need your help. So we need to look at prices. We need to look at payment terms. And in return, this is what we're going to give you. You know, And what we'll say is every quarter you come in and we'll do a business presentation to you so that you know where we're at because you're going to be supplying stuff and not getting paid for it for a little while. So you need the confidence that we're still going to be here and all that kind of stuff. So we set this up and it was great. And over a period of time, some of the suppliers would go, right, okay, we don't need to keep coming in for the quarterly update. We get where it's going, everything's fine. However, there was this guy in particular who this was the biggest customer he had. So he would turn up suited with his presentation stuff. And what he wanted to do was present back every time, every quarter, because this was so important to him. And if we say the guy's names were John and Bill, for instance. So John would come in to the reception and sit there waiting for his presentation meeting. And we kind of knew his business and he knew this business. So everything was kind of, it was becoming a lot more informal. But John kept coming in all suited and everything and, and ready to do his presentation. So he was sitting in reception and the guy who was now running the place, guy, let's say his name's Bill, was saying, oh, right, John, just come through. And, and John was saying, oh, Mr. Smith, I'm, I'm not due in for another 10 minutes or it's okay if I can go in the room and prepare. And Bill was saying, look, it's it's fine, John, just come in, I'll put the kettle on and everything else. So Bill was trying to make this really informal. John was trying to make it really formal to the point where Bill says to John, look, John, we went to school together. I have known you for nearly <laughs> 30 years. Just because I'm now the owner of this business doesn't make me any better than you. I was on the shop floor two years ago. And John looked at him and said, well, if that's the case, Mr. Smith, I'll see you in three months in my presentation. And the problem was is that Bill was now seen as being higher up by John. And what Bill did was Bill said, I'm as low down as you, rather than saying, John, you're as important as I am. You're as an important supplier to this business as we are as a customer to you. Exactly. And so that's where power and influence is in the perception. And if you can leave it open to the, the perception, it's because you've not communicated. So people will forgive you an awful lot no matter how much power you've got and how much influence you haven't yet built, if you're able to give them that context of bringing them up so that they don't see you as being more powerful than they are. Yeah, kind of interesting, isn't it? The power and the influence and when you look at all these people. So, I mean, I remember that you have these different types of leader, which I guess in this case is power. You have the business card leader, you have subject matter expert leader, and you have the charismatic leader I'm guessing somewhere along this, you can sort of track this out of how much influence they're having. Yeah, look, there's, there's, as we've done with a lot of things, Warren, there's three levels on all of this. There's an operational level, there's a management level, and then there's more of a kind of strategic level. At an operational level, it's just becoming more aware of how much power you bring into the room, intentional or unintentional, deliberate or by accident. 
you know, stuff that you're not aware of and stuff that's perceived by everybody else. But first of all, being aware of how much power you bring into the room so that you can then calibrate that of how much influence you're developing. Yep. Because you bring the power, you develop the influence. At a management level, it's then ensuring that for the situations that are influence is going to be a better choice, that you manage the level of power that you have to enable you the opportunity to develop a higher level of influence. And then at a strategic level, it's ensuring that your influence strategies, both direct and indirect, allow you to then develop all sorts of power and still remain influential. I think that's great. I think that's it. At the moment, what you've done is like you've it's kind of like looking at an ordnance survey map for the first time, which I remember doing in geography class too many years ago, and suddenly it makes seeing what all the lines mean. And what I'm trying to figure out at the moment is, yeah, but I want to get from that bit on the map to this bit on the map. And I think I'm just trying to do too much too quick. So I think that's a great way of, of understanding it is now you can see it. Maybe some of this is going to be at that lower level. Now I'm understanding, well, not that lower level, the first level is now I'm understanding some of the forces that are at play here with that better understanding. And that, first of all, with that awareness, it will allow me to be able to influence some, some outcomes and, and my behavior better. But I think maybe I was pushing towards and, and wondering why I wasn't getting there with why can't I figure out how to be more powerful than Obama? I think, first of all, I just got to read the ordnance survey map marked with, you know, with all of the, the markings on it. Okay. Well, we will go through this stuff, I know, and, we, and it will all add up and we will join up the dots as time goes on. But that's a good one. All right, so now there's an understanding. There's, a, there's an overview of what power and influence looks like. So I'm not going to be JRUing at the end of this episode. Okay, look at all these references I'm bringing in, Ordnance Survey Maps and JRU in. I mean, what sort of demographic are we aiming for here? Anyway, I, won't, <laughs> I don't end up being JRUing or even Cliff Barnes, but we'll, we'll, no, this, is, this was good. I think this is food for thought, something to chew on. Thank you. This is good. So there we have it. Power and influence. Round one, I think. They're big topics, and I know we'll circle round and pick up on some of the threads here again, including connection. I know we're recording that one this week or next. So in short, the sequence as I see it. One, be clear what you want to achieve and why you want to achieve it. Two, be aware of the power that you bring into that situation. And three, avoid displays of power which magnify your power. So don't exaggerate your power when you don't need to. This is important to understand because part four is you need to develop your influence so that it's greater than your power. So only when your influence is greater than the power that you're bringing into the room can you leave the room and let things happen without you. And five, if you have both power and influence, you can choose the optimal strategy to make your things happen. And that's obviously the preferred state. Hope this helps. I hope this helps. It's not the flowcharts that I love to follow. 
and make things a bit simpler for me, but it does help. Any tips? Give me a shout. Until the next time, see you.